Father Long Legs, you are listening to You Can Tell Me Anything. Uh, this is the podcast where comedians confess something they want to get off their chest. And I'm really excited for my guest today because we actually met, I guess it was about a year ago now, at um, Frameline. And uh, he's a filmmaker, very funny comedian, and writer, and just everything. I feel like uh, I feel like we've really gotten to know each other in the last year, and I'm excited to have him on this podcast. Uh, give it up for Russell Goldman. Hello. Hi. <laughs> uh, Hi. I really uh, gave you the circus circus uh, MC uh, announcement. I feel like I get more and more like like Zoom shows and Instagram shows. I get even more like give it up and then and then people are really like i'm at home on my couch what is this energy but i feel like i have to like compensate from otherwise i'm just like i'm at home every day you, you just want people who are in the car you you introduce their name and they just are going oh my god they got they got russell this week yes i mean i do think energy is infectious but who knows i mean maybe infectious we should probably cut that out of our um, vocab now that we're post-COVID. Yeah. Um, but, Russell, I like to start by asking my guests for a good confession. Just to start on a positive note, is there something good you'd like to confess? Um, I, I, when you were introducing me, I thought about, it, it is a good thing, but it's something I miss very much. Um, we met at, in a movie theater because yes. we met during a, a festival screening for uh, my film Summer Connor and your amazing short film, um, I Think She Likes You. And... I uh, I miss movie theater so much. It, that's like not a, a hot take in any way, especially <laughs> for someone who works in movies and likes them. But like that screening was one of the most exciting experiences I've had in a movie theater, regardless of like the fact that I had a film playing there. It was it, it was like a bisexual themed mm -hmm. uh, like evening of shorts and everyone in that audience was like so like pumped and ready to like uh laugh and applaud at like anything that was gay in any <laughs> way shape or form and you just can't get that at home yeah. uh, like obviously you can't with like 300 strangers in like an iconic theater in san francisco that really was i think that was my favorite screening and it was towards the end of our um run with I think she likes you and oh yeah and I didn't mention your film name but thank you for saying that Summer of Connor so fun you guys should watch it um and he also has a new one that just came out called I make good sounds at parties or that you wrote uh Amanda directed also very funny um I that screening I think about that one a lot because that one I don't know if you remember this but I brought my parents to that one because they live in the bay and <laughs> yeah I remember that it was like it was like a big deal for me but also just like it, like you said, it was packed, and I don't think we were invited to this, but apparently the moderators were like, it's also bisexual day in San Francisco, and everyone went to, like, half of the theater had gone to a bisexual picnic together, so there was, like, an energy in the room that I was like, wow, thanks for the invite, guys, but I guess, you know, they were like, <laughs> sometimes you have to, the artist has to be separated, you know, uh, from the, uh, the consumers, but, um, yeah, that, it was, like, sold out, basically. I remember feeling like, because most of the films were, they're all very different. They're all like a lot of very funniest moments. And I feel like in that theater, like all the little jokes that 
everybody put in their film like some that they're like this is for me this is gonna go over people's head they all got laughs from that audience because it was like just a room full of bisexual people <laughs> so i don't know and I- it, yeah it was it was like this this idea of like as soon as in my movie it it becomes queer very quickly when mm-hmm. uh, my friend johnny who acts in the movie he plays connor uh like turns his head and like looks to the camera <laughs> and normally when i show that moment to people they're like Oh, because it's like a sweet moment for the character who's like, they're seeing this guy that they like for the first time. And I everyone just like started uh, like losing their shit because it's it, it I think it was just so relatable for the people in yeah. that crowd of like that moment of exploration that happened at whatever age. Mm-hmm. As soon as they like kind of they saw someone um, that way for the first time, they didn't know that they could have those feelings necessarily. Um that was uh, that was a fun moment for sure. Yeah, it's so fun. You guys should watch the movie. Well, um, I okay. I, I want to get to your confession, but I often start by asking um, guests this because this podcast was sort of inspired by me starting therapy late in life and how nice it felt to actually be able to like unpack things and talk about them. So I'm curious, like, what is your experience with therapy? Have you ever go- gone? Do you go? Do you hate it? Love it? Like, maybe give us the little broad strokes of like. Um, what your experience or relationship with that is? So I started, the, I, I went to a therapist for the first time when I was very young, when I, when I was 11 years old. And it was a, it was a proposition uh, from my parents and a lot of people, mm. most of my family was in therapy at that time, including um, my older sibling, including my, uh, including my parents. Including Are you my the youngest? Course. I am the middle child. Ah. Um, and I think that it was my mom saying, do you want this because your brother is doing it as, as like, as if it was, do you want the new Game Boy game? (laughs) Except it was therapy. And I, I like, didn't really understand the concept of it. I think my only- So you asked to go. uh, Oh, I, I, my mom was like, are you interested in trying this? And I think that there was maybe more- on the table about like why therapy could be beneficial to like an 11 year old who had a lot of social anxiety. Sure, sure. Um, but at the time I was like, I mean, if my older brother's doing it, <laughs> then sure. And I, uh, I, I, I did not see, I, I started with a therapist who I didn't see consistently throughout middle and high school, but like I only saw her um, and would return to her, um, whether it was like every six months, uh, like a year later, um, during some phases of middle school, it would be like every week. Um, but it, it started a, um, I, I remember one therapy session, uh, and I would have been in seventh grade. And uh, I, I had a lot of like, I had a lot of physical issues as a kid. Like mm. I, I had, I, I needed a lot of physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I also needed a lot of speech therapy. Um, I just had complications around my birth that like- I, so I, High I, maintenance I, I is what I'm... you're saying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but, but it was, it, all the things that could um, cause like a young person to have a lot of social anxiety mm-hmm. and um, also be like not, awesome at sports and especially if you're a boy and like that's how other boys will like look mm. at, at boys and say like well you're cool um you you really <laughs> you uh, can you kick, kick a ball, ball. <laughs> kick that ball or you 
threw the ball at the other guy's head. Like, that was cool. Um, uh, I, I was uh, playing tennis in middle school. I was, like, on the tennis team, and I had not won a match, hmm. like, the entire uh, spring semester. And there was one kid on the team that, like, shooed me out of, like, 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 why are you so bad at this? Like, you're the only person that has not Rude. won a single game. And I, I was like, I mean, he, I was, he, he was right. He was like just confirming all my feelings at the time. And I remember going to therapy and talking about that. And that's probably the first like conversation in therapy that I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did, like, it does in hindsight feel emblematic of a lot of the kinds of conversations I had in therapy that were like, why am I not like the other kids mm. at my school? My school was like very athletic driven, especially at its time. Wait, where did um, you grow up? I grew up in Northern Virginia, okay. um, sort of like in the Arlington Falls Church uh, McLean area. Um, and I went to uh, it, it was it was a school that had the same it was the same middle and high school. Um, oh, gotcha. So those are like yeah. I feel like double edged swords because it's you know, you could really bond, but if you didn't, if you don't like the groups that you, I guess, uh, started off with and it's like, you're stuck into that image forever. Exactly. And it was a lot of people that I had known just forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and like every now and then you would get a new person. Um, but with the exception of like theater, with the exception of like, mm-hmm. this, like one safe space where you could, it's kind of be weird yeah. And like, and tell jokes and like, not really care about um, a lot of the people that don't really know how to process people that are not exactly yeah. like them, I suppose. That's um, interesting, no matter where you go, because like, yeah, pretty much, you, I feel like universally, like the theater kids, it's like, there's a culture. And it's like, this, like, I grew up in the Bay Area, and it was the same. I was in a lot of different groups, but theater was like the first time I felt like I found that sort of feeling, the same feeling I feel like when I found like comedy, but it's like, yeah, just like a family of misfits, but not in a, it's just like a, in a way where you're like, it's also really cool. Like, but then it's, I don't know. Every, I feel like every theater program is like the same, but I don't know why it is always like that. It's like everyone just I, finds I their, their, their it, tribe. It's such an interesting, it's such an interesting cliche. Mm-hmm. Like, cause it's, it's also overly it's, sexual for no reason sometimes. Like, and I feel like the teachers in a weird way are not like step, like when I look back, I'm like, they knew what was going on. Like people are touching each other backstage at, at rehearsals. And it's like, <laughs> why are the teachers like, it's just like theater culture to be like, yeah, you're someone's going to get fingered on opening night. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> oh my God. Um, but yeah, exactly. It was this, it, it, I think everyone in the theater, like scene at my high school was like also in our, our it was called the gay straight Alliance. Yes, um, yeah, GSA. Yeah, I feel like yeah. they were, uh, our GSA, I feel like there were people who were, I mean, they're probably now looking back, it's like, they're just queer and, but, and, yeah. and Pam, but I feel like there were people who I went, I went to high school with who were like gay all, the entire time I knew them. And then like, we didn't keep in touch, but I remember looking in college and like, oh, they're straight now. But now I'm like, they're probably just queer, but it's so funny. Like they were so ahead that they were just like gay for all of high school. And they're like, and now I'm coming out straight. And you're like, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like at the very least like everyone that i hung out with there had queer energy mm-hmm. uh, several of them came out later i mean i was one of those people mm-hmm. um but even Same. like there were very few again like a, a pretty like athletics driven school and mm-hmm. hindsight at the time i think it was a lot of maybe more conservative families um 
and there were very few like out queer people. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I remember, I remember like in tenth or eleventh grade or something, like having like a crush on one of the male tennis players. Mm -hmm. It was like one of my first like boy crushes, and going like I don't, what do I talk to about this? <laughs> so I, I felt like there there was I had one openly out friend who like who enjoyed being like I like being the guy that everyone comes to about these uh -huh. things. Um, and, and thus I did. And he was like, I mean, you're, it, it was the first conversation I had of, or, or understanding that this is not something you're going to like flip one way or the other about, like, this is like a journey that you're going to mm. have. And just because you like this guy doesn't mean that, you know, you don't like girls, but obviously you mm -hmm. do. That's the complication that you're talking about. So, um, how old were you? This was in high school. This was high school. I would have been, I think, 15, 16. That's super um, mature for that. Like, that's a, I feel like a very, um, like, young age to have understood that. And that's cool that you had a friend to guide you there. Because I, I definitely went through flipping back and forth and trying to be like, which one is it? And then it's like, the reality is like, well, you, you should just trust yourself. Like, if you've liked guys yeah. and you've liked girls, it's like, you don't have to go back and erase and be like, okay, so I didn't like that guy actually. It's like, you did, you did. Like, you obviously yeah. did. Like, just, it's just what it is. Like, yeah, but I don't, I didn't have those kind of models. And I came out much later, like in college. So uh, it is interesting, like when you talk about having those figures in your life, like if you just happen to know someone you can talk to, it can just make things so much easier. Yeah, and, and I, I think because I, I was in a relationship with a woman for most of college, um, I had the same girlfriend and because of that, and also just because I think of not really being able to articulate or understand like mm. the idea of being bisexual, I, I sort of just put that idea away for a little while. I was like, eh, yeah, I think I like guys, but I don't feel any like need mm. right now to act on that. Um, unless certain crushes, like a tennis player, <laughs> like the kinds of people in, yes. in the Summer of Connor movie mm. um, that like kind of come up and you go like, oh, that's, thanks for reminding me about this. Um, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah, because I, I like was a virgin for so long. So I kind of, I think I knew uh, when I was at NYU that I was into women, but I also like was boy crazy. But I was a virgin for most, like pretty much until like mm -hmm. the last two months of college. So it's in the same way that I was like, what does, what does it matter? Like, it's like, I'm not having sex. So it's like hard to really like, uh, it's very abstract, but you know, like you said, you, you had these crushes, but you're like, well, it's not like you're not even worrying about like pursuing them because you're in a relationship or I'm not even worried about like, oh, what does this mean sexually? Because I'm like, I haven't even had any sex. So it's like, it's all just abstract. Uh, but it is, yeah, it's interesting that journey. I feel like... Um, your friend who liked being the guru, I feel like I, there was a period of time where I feel like uh, maybe because I was talking about this more in my comedy, but people would ask me about, or like women who are my age, like in their late twenties would ask me about, um, coming out and they're all very like similar to me where they were just like straight their whole lives and didn't even think about it. And then they started to hear what I was talking about. They're like, yes, me too. I've had sex dreams about all these girls and didn't know what it meant because I'm dating men I'm like you're queer but take your time like <laughs> and yeah. uh sure enough a lot of them have come out a part of me likes to think that uh I mean it is they would have found it out anyways but part of me wants to be like you know how um you can get commission for like bringing people into a, a groups I'm like I wish I could get just like get commission for bringing <laughs> um, more 
people uh, so like, to the I, I get 10% of your date. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because th- those are those like pivotal moments, I think, are so important where like that same friend who helped me in high school, when I went on my first date with a man and I was like 22 mm. at the time, it, it was much later. Um, I, I texted him on the way Aww. and he was like, oh my God, it's happened. Like it, it finally happened. I think I had spoken a little bit more about that in a time sense, but like also we went to different colleges. It, it was more like a, hey, that conversation that we had all that time ago, uh, it, it, it stuck with me. And like it, it, it was one of the first conversations I had where it was like, oh, it's, I don't have to, I don't have to repress this. I don't have to act on it. Like it, it, this is all a spectrum and I can go mm-hmm. about this however I see fit. Like it's, it's really no big deal. Yeah. That's so nice. Um, that it, like, cause I, when you're saying that I'm like, me too, I feel that way. But then I'm getting flashbacks to when it did feel like this scary wall. And yeah. I have to remember that it's not like when I was on the other side, it really, I mean, I didn't have the same like closet experience cause I, just didn't realize till I mean I guess I was so closeted I didn't realize till later so I didn't have that feeling of they know but uh but when I started exploring there was this feeling of like ah, what's on the other side and there was almost this feeling of like I wish I could just like now that I think I like women just like get in a serious relationship with one so I know but it's like also that's hard <laughs> if you're straight so it's like there's it, this it, yeah. wa- feeling of wanting to rush into like a very serious thing so you can then prove to yourself this is who you are when in reality, like love in general is hard. So just because you are attracted to a woman doesn't mean every girl you date will work out or every guy you date will work out. And uh, it could be easy to be like, oh, I didn't feel it on this date, so I must not like men. That's like, or <laughs> maybe you just didn't like this one. Exactly. And I have felt that I have in transparency, I have been in relationships with uh, only women and mm-hmm. I have, I've gone on dates with men. I've like, mm-hmm. but I, I have not had anything serious with um, a man. And part of that is like, it, it, like even my mind goes back to the, like, am I like a fake queer? Because I have not like engaged in like an, like a serious emotional relationship um, with someone of my own gender. But, and then you go like, that's like, you think about that for more than three seconds ago. Yeah. That, that's bullshit. I mean, if like, that were it, true, like, I feel like a ton of straight people are fake straight because they, have had no serious relationships and have no emotional availability. And I'm talking about specifically straight guys I've dated, um, mm. who, uh, are just ca- have never committed to anything. Uh, no. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same logic where you're like, how can, if like a 40 year old man is, uh, has been straight all his life, but has never been in a serious relationship. Why doesn't anyone doubt? Like, I don't mean doubt his straightness of like, he's gay, but why doesn't anyone doubt his capacity to, lo- you know, to love, but we do that for bisexuals where you're like, are you really bisexual? You've never committed to the one. And it's like, how? okay, you do know how this works. <laughs> you can't end up with everybody. Um, yeah. I never thought of the binary that way of, um, of that kind of figure you're talking about. Like, do you only love yourself? Like, do you just not like other people regardless of <laughs> gender or identity? <laughs> oh, interesting. I feel like a lot of these people don't love themselves at all. But um, no, uh, just kidding. I, it's a journey. Look, we're it's all. It's a will like, they, won't they? We're all. <laughs> will you? Uh, yeah, that's funny. Will, will you or won't you love yourself? Will you ever give yourself what you need? Um, well, I feel like this is a great transition into our confession. And Russell, I'm dying to know is there anything you'd like to tell me? Yes. I, I make dumb movies to process pain. <laughs> 
Sounds like a uh, very relatable. I'm laughing because I'm like, this is how I feel like everything I've ever done. I'm like, my pain. People are like, ha, 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 great. And I'm like, <laughs> so sad. And and I mean, I, I think you would agree with this, too, um, <laughs> because I, I mean dumb not to belittle myself or certainly the people that like I, I work with on like a short film or a mm. script or whatever. Um, but dumb as in like, indulge like a stupidity that I find funny mm-hmm. um but are if I were to actually talk about why I made a project I, it would sound a lot more pretentious than that which I think is like okay <laughs> but like if you're uh-huh. watching it you're going like oh, this is like a, a like a simple relatable um maybe sweet thing and then you're and then I talk about it and you're like well actually I was um like the, it took years of therapy to get to the point where I could I could tell this story and and make it make sense on in like a narrative form or whatever. Yeah, I love that. So. Well, I will say, I mean, having watched your work, I, I can relate and agree to that. And I, I let's put it this way. I think that comes through. And I think that what's cool about a lot of like comedy, because a lot of your films do um, are very funny, but also have serious topics is that you can also show them to quote unquote dumb people who don't have those experiences and they would enjoy the surface level. And then like kind of what we're talking about uh, uh, watching with a room full of bisexual people, it's, there's also the, a deeper layer where everyone's like, I get the pain. So I think that does come through. Um, and I and I really like that. And I, I feel like that's probably why we get along because I, <laughs> I feel similarly. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, if, okay, so I wanna talk about your process because I think this is super interesting. Um, but I wanted to, okay, you said the simple thing and I wanted to address this before I forget. I don't think simple is dumb because I know we say simp yes. and whatever, but I actually think simple is sometimes the most complex because as you yeah. talk about going through years and years of therapy to then come to a simple, clear moment, it actually means you're like holding all of it together. And then you have this complete, like, like clear thought. Uh, and then using what you've learned, you're able to guide people there, you know, through something seemingly funny. Like if you think about a lot of Japanese, um, like no theater or like old poet, like poetry from back, back, you know, way back in the day, um, it is all very short and simple, like even haikus, right? But they're not dumb. They're actually, they contain so much in so little. So I would argue that comedy and, you know, filmmaking in the way you're describing it is similar to that. I I love that because I, I completely agree, especially with short films, because I, I think I have a habit of like, if I'm working on a, a, a short form project that you have a lot of ideas in them and you have to whittle it down mm-hmm. to something that is like digestible in like an eight to 10 minute form. But still, ideally, it is something that is like, you're carrying out something that is very personal to you and is a statement that you feel like you have maybe come to mm-hmm. or like that you are exploring and can still tell in that form. And like you said, can work not as just like a polemic on that idea. It's like, it's it's in a piece of like something that is entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that a lot of the things I've done now and I, and I had always worked in, like comedy had for a while, it's been like the only thing that I, I like to do that I did, um, uh, whether it was in film or whether it was in theater. Um, I've since moved into um, like sort of balancing comedy and I also work on, I like working in horror. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more of like what I do for my professional job right now anyway. 
um, I think that they weirdly are two sides of the same coin. Yeah, there's a catharsis. I mean, they're kind of the modern day. Well, so because back in the day, it was like comedy versus tragedy. But I mean, horror is kind of the modern day tragedy in the sense of like you get that catharsis. This sounds really pretentious and I don't mean it to. <laughs> I think that's fine. I mean, it, it does. Like I, I, I sound absolutely pretentious, but I'm like, isn't that like if you're discussing something that you're working on or something that you respond to, like, is, is it a problem to sound pretentious about it? No. And, and because it's relatable, I think that's the reality is, um, in a way, like almost like things that are too complex. Like when I think about things that are like, on a, I mean, in a funny way, like I'm going to use Guy Fieri as an example, cause I actually don't not like him, but he's just a funny, he's someone who, um, I would say is like people might say is dumb, but he has a lot going on, right? So it's like that is the yes. opposite of simple where you're like flames, fire, ball. You're like loud card. Woo. And to be fair, I do like him. It's just he's an easy target um, and he knows who he is, which I love. But he's someone to he me. He also gives a lot to charity. Yeah, yeah. And, he's like, like a, it, it seems like a nice guy. That I've learned the last few years of like, oh, are you actually a good guy? <laughs> he seems like he's very good in touch guy, with himself, good, but um, which is good. A good guy Fieri, I mean to say. Yeah, a good guy. Fieri, fear means proud in French. I don't know what it means in whatever. I don't know if he's French, but uh, but this is this is he's a proud boy. <laughs> no, he's not a proud boy. I'm sorry. No. This is off the rails. The only reason I brought him up is to say that maybe he was a not a good example, but uh, like you know, if you picture you know a, a macho you know macho old timey traditional like man with like a big monster truck and fire wheels and all of the gadgets and gizmos like that to me is like the opposite of this like idea of a simple clear idea that communicates a lot because that's like i need to put everything in this to communicate and then what ends up happening is like the message is lost so that's my way of being like i think I mean, obviously there's value in both, but I think that that we put a lot of, uh, we, I think we're talking ourselves down when we say that things need to have a lot going on because the most simple of stories actually, I think, communicate the most. I, I totally agree. And, and I also think that, I, I mean, in the, in the context of, like, in the context of, of comedy, you don't want to be, so overwhelmed anyway mm -hmm. I, I think like if you were especially if you're telling like a short form comedy like it should just be something that you find you understand the thread and, and you understand the immediate like relatability of well i i think that one thing that we had discussed mm -hmm. um a, a little bit yesterday was just the idea of or maybe it was like i think it was something that you shared with me and mm -hmm. it, it, i was processing because because you had said you hadn't spoken to a lot of um, like male bisexuals on your show. Mm -hmm. um, and I started thinking of like, if there was a way to describe the, the types of stories I like to make, and I think it is, um, I gravitate towards what are sensitive stories about men that are not normally told. Um, because uh -huh. I think that sort of unpacking those gender norms is is very valuable especially like and it's probably more honest for myself as like a white male filmmaker <laughs> that feels those things to try and explore though w which isn't to say that you can't try to, to explore something from a different per person's point of view but if you're making something that is like directly honest at something like parties which like i i chose to be in myself and mm -hmm. and wrote based off of my own experiences then it, it makes sense to um, not belittle yourself and not like 
make yourself out to be like a um, like a flawed and like dumb person in your own work, but like that you are like, like that vulnerability is okay mm-hmm. and working through things is okay and um, being wrong is okay and like learning things mm-hmm. is okay. It's um, very truthful so- is how I feel about it. Like, I mean, yes, on a surface level, it's just like, it's fun to laugh, but I, I think to me, like what's so fun about it is the tr- like the truth that comes through right and the like what's funny is because those sad moments when you when you're watching it you're not in it so you can laugh but it's so it's so true like i mean even um there's a moment in uh parties where after you come out of or i guess your character comes out of um the house and then you see the flashback of the ex getting in the car that moment like it's so well done but it's like very like it's sad but also uh immediately you cut it with uh, your your character's like, sure, I'll go to another party and do this all over again, which is so funny because it's true. Like, that's the kind of stuff we do all the time was we p- repeat our patterns. It doesn't mean we want perpetual sadness. It's just like, we just don't have the answer yet. To, like, how, like, if you're in pain, yeah, no, you don't want to be in pain, but that doesn't mean it, you can, you know, I think there's a way to like get through it by telling the story and being like, okay, well, I'll keep figuring it out until I figure it out, but in the meantime, I'm going to be honest about everything that's going on, including like, this sucks. Okay, well, I'm going to walk into a <laughs> new party where this going to suck again, but I don't really know what else to do. And that's fine. <laughs> yeah, you're leaving a house that's on fire and going like, I smell some smoke at the Try house next door. Next house? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, that's a, maybe that'll be interesting. But in but... the meantime, I think doing this kind of processing that you're talking about, like t- sharing the story and, and then getting the reactions of people and hearing what people relate to, like that actually helps move the process along because I would argue that like even if you're aware that you're repeating your pattern once you have this like complete thing and it's out there it kind of gives you a little catharsis to be like all right well what's what's the next thing and and it kind of helps like smooth over the chapter to then move on to the next exactly and I think that's also where working with other people in film which is such a collaborative medium if you're telling like a personal story you've written it or it's your directing project or what have you like getting other people's perspectives is gonna just make the what you were trying to say feel more relatable feel more like you're distilling it down to what it needs to be mm. the ending of parties and i'll say parties is an eight minute short film where i go to a party that just grows like nightmarishly surreal uh <laughs> Teresa's in it uh briefly i um sort of recite her dialogue as uh she says it and um, things go wild. I see a a girl, an ex girlfriend of mine that I had not gotten over that has is now with a different person. And the reason I made that movie was the sensation that I got after leaving a very long relationship, going to parties, house parties in your mm. in my mid twenties here in L A. and going like, oh, is, am I just now gonna always feel alone? Because mm. I I had that person forever. Um, that like worked as like uh, like my other the other side of myself as well as this like security blanket when you go and you socialize with other pe- people whether it's friends or strangers now looking at like how to socialize after something like that happens mm-hmm. and going like I don't think I remember how to but uh, our <laughs> friend Amanda directed this film Amanda Prager and she and I have similarities so like we were both by we both had like pivotal relationships and that's what 
that that have ended and, and that's what she was um focused on when when she was making this film but the ending the idea of going off to this next party when i wrote it i thought it was a very cynical idea true but like this idea of like we just kind of want to throw ourselves in maybe more pain um just because it's better than being alone and she had a like a positive like she always read that as a positive which i didn't even know until right before uh-huh. we made it um that's like hopeful I, almost because you it shows that you yeah. haven't given up hope and you are in the process of moving on it hasn't happened yet yeah but like you are seeing like movie ends with like there's a lot of like dream like reality happening uh-huh. at the same time and it ends with me watching like a former version of myself like leave with my ex and like it's very peaceful and happy and it's this mixed bag of like you know you want to go back to that memory which does not exist and like cannot yeah. again you're not but, you anymore you're kind of saying goodbye to the old you yeah that yeah. car is leaving it's not coming back yeah that's that's the that was her reading of it and i i thought of like that informed how i had been processing my own life and like Mm. why i go to these parties because each one it has like this and there will be like you know pluses and minuses but each one there is like incremental progress towards like i'm learning how to be with myself again i'm learning how to like um be myself in front of new people and be confident about how how I introduce myself. Mm. I genuinely hate introducing myself. That's like It's so relatable. I think the relationship adds another layer to it, but I think just in general, especially being around comedians all the time, like social anxiety is very common. So funny because I, um, I feel like all my life I've been around people like I found people like me like that. Who, if I say, uh, talk about anxiety, everyone's like, yeah, but um, I, I'm, I'm in a relationship now, too, and my boyfriend's the total opposite where he's just like, like just like a nice, like happy person who just is like excited to go into a new place. And I, I was talking about how getting anxiety going to party is like, you know, when you're like just walking to a party, you, you're pretty sure it'll be fun. But that moment where you're like, ah, like the first five minutes, you have to look around for someone, you know, and you don't know what to do. And he's like, no what i've never had that i was like oh my god you've never ever had social anxiety like i was like you've never had social anxiety but i mean it's i guess that's why we're a good fit but um but that feeling of leaving a relationship i i hadn't thought about that till you just said that today and i realized like i've come a long way too because i used to feel a lot like that and i don't feel that way anymore but i think i i felt that after my first like sort of wasn't a serious relationship, but my first to me serious relationship. And I remember feeling like having a person, it's almost like an anchor. Like you don't have to be next to each other at a party, but just knowing they're there makes you feel comfortable. Cause if you're like, help, I'm drowning. You can just go find them or you can be like, I want to go. And you know, someone's always going to leave with you. And that feeling, I think, um, you can't, I think you need to have that feeling of losing it before you realize like you are your, you are that person for yourself. Like, you yes. can't start by knowing you are that person because that's just arrogance. I think you have to like kind of need it some it from someone else first, and then realize that you can give yourself that. And it it doesn't happen overnight. You have to like do all the steps to get there. Yeah, and and if you are at a party with a significant other, you already have someone to break the ice with. Mm-hmm. You already have someone that you, even if it sounds performative and it kind of is in a certain way, like 
you can be yourself in front of a stranger if you just choose to respond to your partner. Sure, yeah. And it, for someone that has, like, a lot of anxiety about, like, how I present myself and how I um, – am I being too confident when I speak to somebody? <laughs> am, I, am I talking too much about, like, myself personally? Am I asking them enough questions about themselves? Um, <laughs> sometimes I'm in a mood of, like, I don't want to say anything about myself. You go. <laughs> and that, that itself is, like, not necessarily fair if you're – introducing yourself to someone in this context anyway. Um, but it, you rarely get to the point that I get to at, or got to in, in the pre-COVID world of being at a party with somebody, talking to them for three minutes. You ultimately get to something about like the fucking weather or like a movie that they saw. <laughs> and then you just both take like, you, you both look away, you take a sip of your drink. And one of you is like, well, I got to go to the bathroom or, well, <laughs> I should probably refresh this drink or, well, actually my friend just got here and I want to say hello. Um, I'm going to walk also, around also, and see who else is here. Um, gonna, I've I said that before. <laughs> I'm going to mingle. I've said that. I'm like, oh, this sounds rude, but it's because I think you want to do this. So I'm going to project onto you. <laughs> like, like the honest version is like, look, I know that like, I'm not saying this can't go anywhere, but like, it's not going anywhere right now. So why, why don't we take a break and we'll see if something happens later. And if not, I, I will probably never remember that I met you. Sometimes I'll do the thing where it's like, do you want to walk around? Because then it's like, we can both walk around and then we'll both run into people and then we'll be free. But it doesn't, but if not, we'll have a companion. It's a lot of anxiety. I, you know, now that I think about it, I'm like, aren't parties supposed to be fun? This, this sounds like a nightmare. Why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> I, I was, I, my alternate confession, and I had seen that you had already done an episode kind of somewhere, so I didn't propose it. The episode I love social distancing was oh, going like, yes. yeah, I, I don't, I don't miss these parties. I, <laughs> I don't miss the. I think it was a timing thing as well of like, I have now lived in LA for a few years. Um, I think that these are like valuable if you are trying to meet new people and you've moved to the city. Like these, like kind of house parties that you can show up at, mm. and at some point, um, it, you just get diminishing return. Or at mm -hmm. some point, you're like, okay, I just don't think that I am cut out for this specific like huh. way to engage with people i like i like having friends i, li I like i like going to diners and to but you also like hosting things so this is interesting because i i feel i relate a lot to this social anxiety but i i do like parties i don't like the anxiety but the reason i like parties well i'll say that this is where I'm a little weird is I love dancing. So I can always get out of those. Like most people I feel like have a lot of anxiety for dancing, but that's what I feel like. Mm. I think because I, as a kid, I was just moving around a lot too hyper. So if I'm nervous at a party and there's music, I'll just like be like, Oh, well I'll just dance and someone else will join and I don't have to talk to them. So that to me is a way I always get out of stuff. So I love big parties where there's dancing because I don't get shy in dance situations, but I do get shy in like small talk situations. Um, but that, I, that's fascinating. But I also, I remember like, I, I, like that first night at Frameline where we hung out, like we went to that bar with the other Frameline people and, and you were, and you were just dancing with people that you had <laughs> not met before. And it, and the way that you were doing it as in dancing, um, did you, <laughs> as in um was, was just like, it, it felt very friendly and inviting to people that you did not necessarily like know before. And that's something that I admired a lot. Not Aww. that I thought about that in the moment, but like thinking back on it, I'm going like, yeah, I, I, I absolutely can't. Like it maybe if I'm drunk enough and I'm with like the right person that I, I, I could start dancing. But um, 
I, I think it's like a confidence issue, like again, of like, I, I don't have a lot of confidence in my body and like how I maybe move it in public. <laughs> um, I also have uh, like no like instincts of how to move or dance at all. So I'm like, well, that's maybe the last thing that I would do personally and like uh, in, in a sober mind. But um, nobody's but, see, here's the thing. Everyone's also thinking about that for themselves. People like sometimes I like don't want to dance good. You know what I mean? Like it's like I want to move because it makes me feel good. But then I'm like, if I look stupid, it actually makes people more comfortable because everyone's worried about looking stupid. So they're like, well, she looks stupid and she's having fun. <laughs> so. <laughs> I wanted to have fun too and I, I'm afraid I'll look stupid but she looks really stupid so it's fine like I, that's I feel like to me I have a theory that might not be rooted in science at all but like you know how animals will like shake when they're like nervous or they'll like just shake it off like I yeah. I've started thinking that's how I am with dancing like when I get nervous I'm like I'm bottled up with anxiety let me just go shake it off so then I just like when I'm dancing I'm not I think the difference is my motivation isn't to meet people or have people approach me or sh like peacock or whatever. It truly is just to be like, my body is nervous. If I move around, I'll feel good. And then I always do. And then usually I think that helps break the ice. But for me, it's literally just like, I need to shake off my nerves. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I think it's, it's a very, it's a much more like useful version of this, but I think it's the same reason why like we need to have a red solo cup in our hands mm, at these things mm -hmm. yeah. it's like otherwise <laughs> otherwise what the fuck do we do with our hands true like, when it, i was sober like, i would just get so i would like go be lying for the bar to get seltzers and bar the bartenders would just be like uh why are you so urgently i was like i need to have a cup in my hand you don't understand yeah that's, that's not only am i sober like, but my hands are empty like most of the time you don't want to drink whatever like disgusting punch <laughs> that you have no idea like what amount of liquor is in has been made for the party, but like you, do, you need something in your hand, and mm -hmm. you can take like fake sips as you as you talk to somebody uh -huh. just to like break eye contact just yeah. for like like two key seconds at a time. <laughs> well, okay, so I'm curious about so okay, there's so much good stuff here, but I want to uh, get back to the process a little bit too because I, yeah, obviously you said this came from a painful um, story, even though in broad strokes it's relatable but um how like what's your process like how soon after things happen are you like starting the project or are you like coming back to your journal years later and then being like i'm ready to do this or are you like healing yourself by writing this i th i think it's, it's sort of like when projects sort of come upon your lap like parties came out of um it, it came out of like an essay that i'd written but more like a conversation with amanda of like what if we made like a movie this summer or like made a short film together and we were already working on another film that I had made called No Comment that was like my first drama, also a movie that dealt with male insecurity, but more like male complicity in, in, mm. uh, in, in that case it was an assault. Um, and I think that we were looking at what, what if we made something lighter that still had um, a lot of re relatability to it um, and that I, I had sort of tuned out when we were making parties about the really the ideas of like, oh, I'm going to be in this. Mm. I'm going to have to look at this person who is emulating former relationships with the same emotion that mm. I looked at that person that, that I had used to be with. Um, and then there are other times like Summer Connor. Um, I had I made that the summer that I had like really come out. Um, it was, I, I was at a 
at the Pride Parade in DC at the time I was visiting home. And I, my, my friend had lent me a, a shirt that had like a go, a go both ways joke. <laughs> Cause she was just like, I mean, aren't you bi? Like you've just sort of alluded to that for like years. And I had sort of not, like I, I had not thought about the idea of like being public about it. Uh-huh. Not that it, I had an aversion to it, but it was more like, I, I just did, I thought that there was like some kind of switch that I, I would have to flip. Mm-hmm. You gotta press the button, yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotta press the button. And I sort of made a movie about literally, I, I wanted to make a movie there about pressing that button. Yeah, and like literally. literally. Looking, the Tinder like, moment, I love that. Yeah, the Tinder moment of going to, switching from women to men and women and like, just the idea of not that you're committing to anything. It's a very small choice, but like um, just the idea that men are now looking at your profile mm-hmm. and going like, Ooh, I, I maybe want to go on a date with that guy. I may want to talk to that guy. Um, like, I, I think that sometimes these life moments kind of catch me as they happen. Sometimes I will, if someone like comes with an idea for a project or there's like a certain genre that I want to work within um, that mapping on a theme that feels very relatable is sort of the way that I uh, push through that. But like, I think as far as the pain part of it. Um, yeah, how did it feel making this? Like you you said, I mean, yeah. I remember there were moments where, I, I, I mean, I, I wanted to get out of your hair because I wasn't sure if it's production related or emotion related, but there, there were like moments on set I was like, oh, Russell's going through a hard time. But um, was it related to the to- like subject matter that you were feeling bad? Um, I think the day that you came, I, I also had a migraine um, <laughs> because I think you came like the first thing that we did was there's like a crazy one take near the end of the oh, movie yeah, yeah. and that like involves me like turning around rapidly and like collapsing on the floor like in a kitchen. Uh-huh. Um, but that, you know, physical ailments, that's <laughs> I, I've had a I've had a history of of some of some experiences with head trauma and that's like itself a form mm. of strangeness and pain um, that I have like, I, I have not found, I have some ideas for how I would want to address that in a movie, mm. but the emotions behind it and like the way that I feel and like this, we remember feeling mm. like after a concussion or something like that, um, are just very uncomfortable to return to. Sure. Um, but I think with parties, it was, it was almost like I had to suspend disbelief and go like, sort of just work on that set with you or with Amanda or all the amazing people who are on it as just like another person who was making it and not the person that it was um, sort of about or the person that was like going to like Mm. walk through these like these experiences as if like they are recreating their like worst nightmares which like that's I guess that's like a way that you could have looked at that film but then it um, but made was... it truthful too, because that moment you look find your ex, I feel like is so, um, like in the you really feel that like it's sort of like everything slows down and you, actually even before so in the in the movie um, you're outside playing beer pong and then you immediately like we don't even see as the audience we just see like the shadow of your ex but like I love how that moment like creates a feeling of um, you know when you're at a party you literally you can feel when they walk in and then you're like, I'm not going to look, but you know exactly where they are. And yeah. that, and then you're like, I gotta go inside. And that, I mean, then you see her and it, uh, and it's like a whole moment, but that moment, the like subtle moment right before to me, I really like that. Cause that's like real. And you played it real. Like your emotions are like 
oh shit she's here even though to yeah. us outside watching a comedy we're like okay it's a comedy so we can laugh but i think what makes it funnier is how real you played it instead of be like oh no she's here like it's you know like yeah. so i think having those emotions is part of what makes it funny if that makes sense like you're sad totally. i guess i'm saying your pain is funny but um not to have I mean, pain your... to be funny but since you have pain <laughs> might as well make it funny <laughs> i i mean i imagine that's like another thing like i i don't think i would do it because of the anxiety i would have about being on a stage by myself and and saying jokes but like i imagine that is like one of the many reasons like why you're in stand-up and also why you're great at it is like you you are it, you're just telling personal stories in a way that helps you work through them now maybe there are some i, I was thinking of that episode you did with cameron esposito where oh. she had like that was such an interesting perspective here like maybe you don't like want to just laugh over uh-huh. some some forms of pain or trauma that you have experienced are experiencing um and i think that a similar thing is true like are you ready to make a movie about something mm-hmm. is it going to be helpful to you when you're working through something mm-hmm. at this juncture in your life to make a movie that deals with it because it's a lot of like it, it you get to control the narrative maybe a bit more than just like being like very like nakedly on a stage saying like here is um a thing that is on my mind but you are like for a good chunk of your years like walking around saying like hi i'm making a movie about this and like you have to sort of repeat what it is and Mm -hmm. maybe there's like a disconnect that you can make with it like it's just a movie but like if you want it to work i think probably the way that you uh hope that it could um you should feel comfortable with that pain and like acknowledge that it may feel raw at some points, but like be at a place where you feel confident that like this is something that I am on, I, I guess, the backslope of. Yeah, it, yeah. As well, far as like processing it. It's sort of like what are you trying to say? Because while it's beautiful to have a, an intense emotion, an intense emotion is more of a music video, which is also cool, but not a movie, right? So like I, I, I know what you mean, like feeling like you're in the middle of something. You're like, I got to make something about this because it's strong and I feel it. But yeah. it's not a message. It's just a feeling, which you can create. That's fun. But like, as you know, as you, as someone who's probably watched a lot of movies, good and bad, like the story and message does separate. Like sometimes you can watch yes. something you're like it feels nice, but you're like, what is it? Uh, and I think you need that clarity from the other end to really understand. Like, well, what are you trying to say about it? Like, how is this gonna? Is this gonna add any value to for the viewer, or is it just like? is it just a diary entry of how you're feeling today? Um, yeah. But I mean, I'm saying that, but your movies obviously have that message, which like that ending with watching it yourself go away and all that. And the summer of Connor, which has a fun twist, but you guys should watch it at the end. Like all of that, I think is coming from this place where you've clearly gone through this moment already. So you can look back and say like, this isn't a moment where it has to end happy. It's a moment that happened and you will get through it. Like, it's like, I yeah. like that they don't end in a like a neat bow tie way, but they do end in a happy way. It's very hopeful to be like, yeah, you can get through anything kind of, you know? Yeah. And I think that because when I was at uh, when I was in uh, college, when the, the film and theater that I tend to make, it often reflected about like, I think subconsciously or otherwise, it, it often dealt with the idea of like, you are in a lovely bubble and you're going to leave it. And you have no idea what the fuck's going to happen after it. <laughs> It's probably not going to be as like comfortable and uh, stimulating as this ever again. Mm. And 
I think that a similar thing with summer Connor parties and like a lot of stories that I like to gravitate towards, um, those stories I think revolve around like this person is not going to fix you or like this, the way to jump through this, like this very messy period where you feel uh, very alone and scared after a breakup or where you feel um, scared about the idea of really coming out and like embracing your sexuality. Um, I think both work with a, like you can't pin this on somebody else. Mm -hmm. Like, like the Which guy I that you have a crush on is like not going to be the person that like fixes you and like having the confrontation with your ex that mm -hmm. like just really like you really stick it to them. Um, <laughs> it's obviously not going to be the thing that fixes you either. Like it's all like these like incremental steps of progress that are completely your own. And um, it's better if you don't try to pin other people to it even though I think we want to because it's like an easier, at least I want to, because it's an easier thing to sort of work through. Okay, I have a question because you made me think of something and I'm now thinking about your work and I, I wonder if this would ring true to you. Do you feel like your films don't have like villains? Not, I'm not saying like antagonists or conflict, but do you feel like they don't have like villains? Like, oh, this is good, this is bad? I think I, that's something that I don't love gravitating towards. I love villains that sort of articulate well let me phrase it this way maybe that's maybe yeah. that's uh not the right way to say because i feel like that sounds negative i know what you mean My, that. like um uh on a i think it was if you so talking about this on this podcast another guest but um a lot of miyazaki movies don't have villains they obviously have conflict they have yeah. problems but everybody like even the witches or the scary people are just they're just like full characters with their own agenda that might be against the protagonist's agenda but there's no like Disney villain where it's like, I'm evil for the sake of evil and I'll die evil and then I've always been evil. And I really like that. And I also feel like it's kind of a queer way of telling the story because it's like seeing all the sides. And it's not seeing all the sides where you're like, everybody's right and everybody's justified. Like, but everybody is flawed. And sometimes the people in your life, the, their needs and wants clash up against yours. But that doesn't mean yeah. they're not in their own story. Um, like, maybe a hero i don't know but i i so yeah that's more what i meant i don't mean it as like a uh a negative thing but it's totally. almost like to me what makes it feel so rich and true because real life is like that there even if you hate someone like someone loves them you know it's always that's true like exactly. somebody does so and I like that. I mean, I love stuff like Miyazaki. I, I love stuff like Kiki's Delivery Service. That it's just like, uh -huh. yeah, there's no, yeah, there's you're, no real you're just you're growing up, mm -hmm. and and this is the world. And you're gonna have bad days, and you're gonna have depression, and yeah. you're not gonna know why you're lashing out at like mm -hmm. nice boys in red and white stripes <laughs> who just want to fly things at you. And uh, that's okay. Like you can work through it because like you are young and you're growing, and you're also just figuring out like this new rhythm of life that where, where like everything is kind of on you now. But I, I love, I mean, I think working in horror, you like, you have to create oh, yeah, true. villains, you have to create antagonism. That's where a lot of fear comes from. But like, there's a reason why, one, I love stories where villains are correct or villains are speaking like feelings that the writer actually like agrees with and believes. And two, I love villains that are just more sort of there for the whoever is at the center of the film to be working through what they ha they need to um, as just like a reflection on someone as on a lead character who like 
is more their own worst enemy than, mm-hmm. um, you know, like whatever dark insidious force is, is behind it. I think a lot of, um, do you like Star Wars? I do. Stuff? And I actually really like what, where they took the, um, the let the past die, kill it if you have to, because to me, yes. that is honestly how I feel about, uh, overcoming your own demons is like, so often we project or sometimes when we don't feel good, we surround ourselves with people who are worse than us not on purpose but i'm just thinking about how i would go after unavailable people for a long time and then once i started dating people who actually were good to me i realized like oh i also have stuff i i gotta fix this too like it's so easy to just look at someone who seems so evil and feel good instead of being like wait a minute i've got a little bit of evil in me too let me like let me like combine it and like look at myself as a whole being and figure out why i'm like this so that i can move the needle towards good in the world without erasing bad because everyone's everyone has light and dark thoughts and erasing the dark thoughts doesn't stop them from coming so i think i i don't know i just really like i know people hated it but to me i'm like this is like my brand is like look at everything and be like do what feels right in the moment and keep getting to know yourself it's you're not good just because you're on the dark side or light side or whatever you know yeah i mean the Last Jedi is my favorite Star Wars movie beyond maybe like the first two that were made, mm. um, and I think it like it it feels the most relevant of like you are there's so by that point Star Wars is basically just about itself. It's like like thinking of the Force Awakens is like that's just like a movie about like look how awesome Star Wars is, look how awesome Han Solo was, look how awesome like the Force is, and like we're gonna get a new person in the Force, and then I, the brilliance of the movie is just like. I mean, what what is actually useful about these ideas? And, like, if we want to grow and if we want to mm-hmm. change for the better, then maybe it's better to not have hang-ups about your parents who you may never find the right information about. Maybe it's best to uh, surprise yourself and, mm-hmm. and come up with, like, new alliances that um, might just push, in that case, the galaxy in, 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 a, in a better more sophisticated direction um that was just like such a radical idea for one of those movies and like um i remember hearing ryan johnson speak about it and and he had said like yeah i mean that like i agree with that like that's like it's a it's great to give a villain that like thing that like you as the author agree Mm -hmm. with um because it just means that like you're you're like protagonist like the in that movie ray you're like she doesn't have an answer to that. Yeah. And then, of course, they retcon a lot of it in the next one. Well, that's like, part of the... Yeah, but I, yeah. well, that's... That, whatever. That's more yeah. <laughs> Star Wars people that's getting upset. That's not something talking about. But yeah. I like the... I, I like that, that. When you mentioned parents, I just want to clarify, too, because to me, I feel like I spent a lot of time, like when I first started going to therapy, like unpacking childhood st- trauma, which is important. And, and I think this was a necessary step. So I don't think it's wrong if any of you guys listening feel this way, but... I'll say like I'm out of that now like my first there was a lot of resentment and a lot of like blaming and it was more I would say because I hadn't learned the lesson yet so it was hard to in order to get to where I am now I had to go through that and it was hard for my parents because you know I think my mom really felt like going to therapy was making me mad at her even though I was already mad at her and it was helping me get it out and then where I am now is I realized like it's not about vilifying your parents but it is all true right all those emotions and memories were true so just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean the effects aren't there so part of uh where i am now is like i'm sure i'm still growing but i feel 
now I'm at a place where it's, uh, I've been able to acknowledge all the truth and now look at myself like, oh, well, so what does this mean about my patterns and programming? Like, it's not, oh, you did this to me, but like this happened. So that's why I have this anxiety about these situations. So now that I know that I can go into situations with the knowledge of um, my patterns and then better address them or better react in the moment instead of going like everybody's gonna always you know like like get mad at me on vacation or everybody like I think that's the part that's the hardest is going from acknowledging the truth to then being like where what can I do now as a person who understands myself and my own patterns because that's hard because you can't just blame people new people even though it feels easy to be like, well, I'm just going to keep dating people like my mom or whatever. And then they'll <laughs> also, and then they'll keep doing the same thing. And then I can just keep blaming them instead of being like, well, what if <laughs> I start over? I don't know. Does what, that make sense? What, yes. Um, I, it, it led me to think about like, I don't, I, I growing up as a middle child, you, you're a, oldest. you were a twin, correct? Yeah. Yeah. But oldest. Okay. But yeah, slightly older. But like, <laughs> I, I, I think there's, there's a, if you were the middle child and like both my brothers, I, I don't think they would disagree with me if, if they hear me say this on your podcast, um, <laughs> a lot louder than me, maybe a bit more abrasive than me. Uh-huh. Um, and I was the quiet, um, maybe more artistic mm-hmm. child. Um, and that I think like that, that, that is good in many ways because like you can sort of just watch people around you and like you can maybe just spend more time internally, like figuring out, what you think and what you want to say before you like start saying it to everybody else who's in your family. Um, but at the same time, you're like, that's a lot of, there's just like a lot of conversations that you will like maybe never really address or mm-hmm. have like the way um, that you may want to now. And like, I don't know that that's something that I, I, I haven't seen a lot of like great stories about that sort of sibling dynamic. And mm. I have not seen, I, I don't know yet how I would process like, telling one that deals with it. And I think that it's that it's not that there's like, like a pain, like that it's like, you know, that I, I'm too like, like that I'm hostile with my brothers. I, I mm-hmm. love my brothers, but um, I only love, I mean, I love them now because like, I, I sort of just have the perspective as an adult mm. of like, yeah, I mean, I know why we were different now. And like, that's just something that I've like grown to accept. And like, that's also something that like, I talked a lot about, in therapy when I was younger. Um, and like, I, that's something I talked a lot to my parents who like are, were really, I I was very lucky that were like amazing on that front Mm -hmm. of like, you know, I could sort of be transparent about like, here's like, why am I like the quiet one here? Mm -hmm. And like, I don't like not really fully understanding it, but like, you're kind of talking about seeing yourself, uh, as, you're like actually seeing yourself because there's so much of like our childhood lives is trying to be seen by others. But then as an adult, you learn how to see yourself in the context of your family. Like you recognize fully who you are in a way where you're not ashamed of it. You're like, this is how I feel. And then you also understand it's not how everyone feels. Like you actually like kind of like see the pieces and how they all fit. Like how I, for so long I was like at the protagonist in my story, but now I'm like, well, I can see how to somebody else I would seem radical and I don't yeah. need to push back. We can just understand our common ground because there is no protagonist of the world. Like it, it, there just isn't like we're all just pieces of this big family. Um, I, I, we need to like kind of wrap up, but this is so interesting to me. So um, I, 
I, I sorry to cut you off, but I like love all of this. I feel like you need to put everything we've talked about into your work. <laughs> I hey, this is like definitely the the push I need to keep turning over stones of like what 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 have I actually like what what am I maybe ready to address in a piece of work um, because. I don't know. I I, am, I I can feel sometimes dogmatic about like, well, everything has to be like a short film or a script mm -hmm. or a, like a feature length movie. And like, I don't know. I, I've been told by like, uh, like even my girlfriend right now of like, I feel like you would like journaling. You would really enjoy <laughs> it and you would get something out of it. And then you could go back to these thoughts and mm -hmm. like, it, it's not like a constant act of like discovery if you want to, you know, talk about them or work them into something else. Um, I agree with that journaling because all the things you think you are you take for granted that you think now that later you'll be like oh shit I thought this like the things that you think now that you'll think differently love later are like just for example me never realizing I'm bi like you'll go back and see clues to that later but uh, so you should journal um, but yes. speaking of I want to wrap up on a, a little quick little game if, if uh, you have time just a few minutes oh yeah okay cool so this is yeah. called buy lines make a headline buy very simple um mostly you you've taken some improv so i just pulled some buy lines like headlines from um the news and uh just there's really this is just a fun little thing there's no right or wrong answer and uh we'll just you just i'll read the headline and then just you can edit it or change it or give me the story but make it buy does that make sense okay it's very so for example i don't know i'll give you an example like uh Truly can be abstract. Uh, okay, well, I'll just read one of these as an example. Um, okay, this first one. Trump spends a morning at home tweeting his heart out. So I could say something like, I don't know. Trump spends a morning at home uh, learning to eat a, a men and women out or something. Whatever. That's, that's, a, that's not, not the greatest one, but, <laughs> but you get it. There's no right or wrong answer. Okay. No right or wrong answer. Okay, here's one. Um, his TikTok went viral, so Ocean Spray gave him a truck. His TikTok went viral, so Ocean Spray gave him something to think about. Ooh, I like that, too. Ooh, I also have one. So gave him a truck and a Barbie automatic car, whatever. I don't know. I'm trying to make that. That's not that's too binary. I'm sorry. Yours is better. Okay, next one. Astronaut pulls himself off space test flight to attend daughter's wedding. Astronaut pulls himself off space test flight to attend's daughter's wedding and is happily surprised by who she decided to marry. Oh, I like that. I like that. And hooked up with the altar boy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Jay Bob. Mm. <laughs> uh, no, wait, okay. This is okay. Final one. Cocaine laden plane crashes in Mexico after airborne pursuit. Cocaine plane crashes in Mexico after airborne pursuit. But uh do pl planes have names right sure yeah but you know the abigail the abigail plane liked the jessica plane the jessica plane was the cocaine plane i'm not sure if i'm good about making i like this uh yeah maybe and then and then everyone threw a big party and the where the uh uh the drug lords and police and pilots all yes. shared got like threw all of their drugs and guns and badges into a pile and just had an orgy till the morning. Okay, and just great. made, just made kissy until the yeah, night. Make <laughs> I, I, I think I need to be better. I feel like I'm just making these like 
gay and not bi. I need to make it's, these It's bi. hard. There's really no right answer. I just thought it'd be fun to call it bylines. Um, so I gave you That's a hard one, name. but you did great. And that is it. Russell, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Um, can you remind people how to watch your short film, which is out now on Vimeo called I Make Good Sound at Parties, and tell us where to follow you? Um, you can find that movie and the other shorts that we've talked about and other stuff that I'm working on at my website, which is russellgoldman.com, uh, two S's and two L's. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's Russell Tweets with a Z. It's been my name since uh, 2012. I should probably change it. Um, and that's T-W-E-E-T-Z. Um, uh, and I think both of those link to like my Instagram and uh, other places where I, I tend to post about what I'm doing. If you like podcasts, just produced a podcast um, called Letters from Camp, um, which is uh, kid friendly, but like <laughs> sort is, is like sort of like what if like an 11 year old girl at summer camp was like like Liz Lemon, basically, or like Mookie from uh, sorry, um, like uh, Kayla from eighth grade. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's a fun show. Um, I was really happy to produce that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, man, I <laughs> would love to make a movie again one day. Who knows if the world, <laughs> who knows yeah. if the world will allow us. Hit Russell up if you want to give him money to make movies. Um, definitely go cool. watch his shorts and follow this podcast at, you can, oh, sorry. <laughs> Tell me anything pod and follow me at Larissa T on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you. Have you ever gotten a tampon stuck up there? You ever kicked a man in the balls when he told you how to smile? Ever peed on a guy's face for money? Well, we've got you covered. With enough stories, we'll drown out the patriarchy for good in their own semen. I'm Heather Ann Gottlieb, and this is Dirty Girl, available now on the Hoo Ha Ha Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a hoo-ha-ha -ha podcast.